Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 178 of the podcast for June 20th, 2013. My guest today is Drew Greenblatt. He's the president and owner of Marlin Steel Wire Products, a manufacturing company based in Baltimore. Now, I, I met Drew. I was really impressed with his keynote talk at the recent AME Southwest Region Conference that was held here in San Antonio. And Drew's company is being very successful competing against uh, cheap Chinese imports by using lean and theory of constraints methodologies, being really passionate about serving their customer needs and making a really noticeable commitment to and an investment in their employees. So I think whether you're a manufacturing company that's looking at how to compete against low labor cost countries, or if you're just interested in the offshoring, reshoring issue, or if you're any organization looking to uh, be successful by partnering up well with all of your employees, I hope you'll find um, this discussion inspiring. Now, if you go to leanblog.org slash 178, you can find links to a couple articles about Drew and his company. And you can also find a link to the video of um, Dr. Ellie Goldratt's last speech in 2011. Um, Dr. Goldratt, of course, is, is known for the theory of constraints methodology and the book, The Goal, and, and others that you might be aware of. Um, Drew and Marlon Steele have shared a link to a recording of that video that's hosted on their website, and I think you'll probably want to check that out as well. So again, go to leanblog.org slash 178, and for all past episodes, you can go to leanpodcast.org. Thanks for listening. But Drew, it's a real pleasure to have you here as a guest on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Hello. So uh, can you start off, Drew, um, introduce yourself and, uh, and your company for the listeners, please. Super. My name is Drew Greenblatt. I'm the owner of Marlin Steel. We're a manufacturer of sheet metal fabrications and material handling baskets, wire forms. We make everything in Baltimore, and we ship all over the world. And uh, how, how long has the company been in business? We were established in 1968. I bought the company in 1998. And for the last seven years, we've been growing, seven years in a row despite the recession. And uh, we're very optimistic. We're very bullish about the future. The well, thing we're most proud about is uh, our safety record. We've gone over 1,610 days without a safety incident. Well, that's great. And I'm sure a lot of that. Um, so we're going to talk more about what you've done with Lean. And um, I mean, w would you credit before we get in more detail about that? Would, would you credit what you've done with Lean or you know, uh, what, what would you attribute the uh, safety record to? That's, uh, that's great to hear. We, we have a safety culture and, and Lean has a big impact in improving your safety because when you're Lean, you look at every element of what an employee does, and you try to reduce or eliminate non-value-added steps, and you really focus in to try to get your arms around every, every activity the employee does and says, is that really helping the cause? And if any aspect of it is in an unsafe manner, uh, you want to figure out tools and techniques to eliminate it so they never do anything unsafe. Well, and and I I think that that's absolutely right, and that ties into you know as we're going to talk later. Um, I you know, I was really impressed when I heard you speak at AME and what sounded like 
um, you know, very people focused culture and uh, sound like you're doing some great things um, in terms of, you know, investing in, in your employees and taking a really good long term view. Before we get in, into some of that detail, you know, I'm kind of curious. I like to ask um, all of my guests. I mean, how, how did you first get introduced to lean? Was it as president of Marlin Steel? Did you know about lean before you bought the company? Um, I'm curious to just hear how you got introduced to the methodology. The company I bought was not at all lean. Uh, the company I bought was uh, doing okay, and uh, that's why I bought it. Mm -hmm. What happened was we uh, ran into some challenging, challenging times that were devastating to the company. Uh, and we had to transform. We had to up our game so we could be competitive and thrive and prosper in the future. We were on a horrible descent because of uh, Asian imports, we were all on a horrible descent because our primary client base uh, was, was, was atrophying and we had to morph uh, to a new style of client that demanded quality products, they needed them highly engineered and they needed quick shipments. And you have to be lean to be great quality, you have to be lean uh, to ship quickly. So. I was floundering around. I realized I had to morph and migrate towards a quality environment to, to a quick ship environment, and I couldn't figure out a way to do it. And uh, through, through my uh, network of friends and uh, accomplished business colleagues, somebody recommended to me that I should pursue uh, lean manufacturing. They told me I should read the book uh, by Ellie Goldratt, called the goal. And that was transformational to Marlin. When I read that, I realized this was our future. This is what we have to do to uh, up our game so that we could be competitive, so we could survive the Asian onslaught of cheap imported products. And uh, we deployed the techniques from the book, The Goal, and it literally saved the company. And in, in, in what way? I mean, if you, if you can expand on that. I mean, I know, Amy, you were talking about um, the, the pressure from Asian imports looking at their price compared to your material cost. I mean, uh, yeah, how, how did you apply? So it's not just lean, but theory of constraints or maybe a combination of, of those methods. I mean, what, what, what did you do? How did you, how did you tackle this? Well, what we did is we focused on, it, 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 it taught us to focus on our choke points and look where the big piles of work and process were stacked up high. At the time when I read the book, we would have 11, 12, 13 tractor trailer loads of work and process uh, of storage outside our facility, um, just tied up outside, all that cash tied up. Uh, this is process baskets that were in mid-completion, and then we would have to find which tractor trailer the work and process was in. We'd have to load it back into our factory, and then we'd realize some of the work and process was a little bit off, and we'd have to scrap that. It was a horrific uh, process that we had before we engaged with lean manufacturing. We started. We migrated to one-piece flow where we would make one part at a time from start to finish, and that was extremely helpful for our success and in, in, in getting us on the journey of lean. Seeing the benefits of one-piece flow 
really uh, energized us to pursue it more vigorously. Uh, we, we all of a sudden had less scrap. We all of a sudden had more cash because we had less work in process. All of a sudden uh, didn't need the 12, 13 active trailer loads of uh, uh, work in process and down, jockeying these trailers back to the factory, moving parts in and out. We didn't have to have people accounting for it with clipboards. It was just easier to run the business. We also started shipping faster because all of a sudden we didn't have all this work in process. We were shipping same-day stuff that people asked for. We started getting more reorders. We started getting happier clients. We started being able to ship things to clients uh, when they had unreasonable dates. It was really uh, transformational to the company. And when you talk about your your customers and primary products, um, you know, the conference you, you you talked about bagel baskets, and I mean, is is that is that a, a bulkier business or just one of your product lines? If you can talk a little bit more about your products and and the customer needs of what they were demanding in terms of quality and delivery. When, when we first bought the company, a hundred percent of our sales were bagel baskets for the um, the growing bagel market in the mid nineties. Bagels were very in fad. So there was a lot of bagel shops opening up, and we were selling all the baskets for all of those bagel shops. It was a great business because uh, nobody else did it. Uh, two terrible things happened. The first one was China realized they could bring in bagel baskets for cheaper than I could buy steel. Uh, that was devastating to our business because we couldn't compete. The second problem was the Atkins diet. This was a diet that came up uh, in, in, the mid, uh, in, the, uh, in the early 2000s where people stopped eating carbohydrates. Well, the number one carbohydrate food is bagels. So all of a sudden, people stopped eating this. So this was the perfect storm for our business. All of a sudden, a perfectly solid, strong business fell apart because these two terrible, uh, these two terrible confluence of events. So we had to morph. And around this time, we got an, a phone call from an engineer at Boeing uh, who wanted a customized basket, an engineered basket, he needed high quality, and he needed it quick. So we realized that this was a new market that we should pursue because, uh, uh, you know, China couldn't offer this, and uh, this was not a fad. This was, you know, process engineers at Amgen, process engineers at Pfizer and Merck, they need these kinds of high-quality baskets. They need these kinds of products uh, quickly. And so we migrated from the bagel industry where our clients literally didn't own tape measures. So we could ship a basket plus or minus an inch, and they wouldn't know it So all of a sudden we're catering to markets where they needed things plus or minus 128th of an inch. So we, uh, it was a big evolution. And, again, we attribute a lot of our success to lean manufacturing and our embrace of lean. You know, one critical component of lean is that you have to have employees embrace it. And... You, you can't use lean uh, as a way to sack employees. You have to, you have to embrace your employees and you have to get them on board and, and excited about it and come up with elegant ways to reduce their material handling, to reduce inventory, to reduce unnecessary tasks. And, uh, you know, an intrinsic element of lean is that you can never ever, uh, reduce headcount, reduce employees as a result of lean. And this engenders trust. And this dovetails nicely with our philosophy, which is we don't look at employees as 
a uh, variable cost. We look at employees as a to- as a fixed cost, sort of like rent or sort of like a, a mortgage payment, uh, sort of like um, you know something that you have to pay in month in month out. When you look at your employees as a fixed cost, like lean manufacturing, you think of them differently. You, you want to invest in them. You want to teach them about lean. You want to train them on all the equipment so that um, they get the most out of that equipment so they can ship faster, they can ship a better quality product. If you look at an employee as a variable cost, you know, uh, you don't want to train them because you're thinking of them in a very short-term way, like they're going to be gone tomorrow if bookings dry up. And when you have a lean environment, you embrace your employees, you want to teach them about things, you want to train them, you want them to be safe. It's very good for the culture, and it improves employee loyalty. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, Toyota sets a good example of that. You know, the plant here in San Antonio and others, uh, you know, when they've had downturns due to sales or, you know, part shortages due to the tsunami, uh, you know, they, they didn't lay off their employees. They're investing in them. They're training them. They're having them go do community service projects, which is actually a great way of developing um, people in addition to serving the community. And, you know, you, you might be surprised, you know, with, you know, hospitals, sadly, Drew, um, will treat nurses, highly skilled nurses, highly trained nurses as variable cost. If patient census is down, they send the nurses home early. And that's just, I think, you know, we're trying to help open eyes of, of healthcare leaders of why that might be, um, you know, it's just uh, the, you know, too much of a short-term focus, save on our productivity today rather than investing in people's capabilities. Um, it's really something. I, 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 I agree. I, I, I don't, I, I think that it engenders trust. It engenders loyalty. If you treat your employees like professionals, you treat them uh, like dedicated long-term, uh, long-term people, and you don't, you don't say, oh, we're a little bit short of work today. Okay, everybody go home. Uh, we're going to save a couple hours. Uh, th- that doesn't engender trust. Instead, what you should do is you should say, listen, let's figure out a way to 5S a zone of the office or the zone of the medical area so that uh, the next time we do this, it's uh, more productive. It's, you know, the, the, the scalpels are closer to our hands. Uh, and, and it's easier to clean up. You know, so th- the mentality should be one of uh, focusing in on how to improve the process, how to improve uh, how easy it is to accomplish tasks. Um, and it should not be a way to uh, cleverly reduce variable cost hours. Um, and th- that kind of approach is very short-sighted, and I think it... Uh, does not help the long-term relationship between employees and the management of of, a, of an entity. Yeah. Now, um, one other question on 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 that. I mean, were were you very explicit and direct with the employees of, of making a commitment that nobody would lose their job due to lean or other improvement methods? Absolutely. Uh, and and uh, you have to start with that foundation. I mean, that has to be the opening paragraph of. Uh, this journey that you're about to embark on, that we're going to come up with a lot of clever techniques 
Um, it's going to reduce some steps. It's going to reduce waste. The end result will be that we're going to ship faster. We're going to get more orders. Our clients are going to be really happy because our quality is going to go up. We're going to get more reorders then, and I'm going to have to hire people, uh, but you're just going to be doing less scut work. You're going to be doing less... Um, uh, you know, non-value-added work, but you'll be doing more value-added work. Uh, and we're going to get more orders. We're going to get more clients happy. And and if there's a recession in the future, um, our competitors who have not pursued this journey are going to be in big trouble. But we're going to we're going to be able to be more resilient in the next, uh, you know, in the next downturn or the next uh, recession. Um, so this was this is intrinsic to the initial paragraph, and and management really has to embrace this concept. Um, you know, we we um, what we do is we train our people. We spend a tremendous amount of money on training. We spend five percent of our direct labor budget on training, and we do this because we want to get the most out of our machines. We want to have the most productivity, uh, the highest quality parts. And if your employees are well-trained, uh, they're less likely to make a mistake, and uh, they're more likely to get the product out right the first time. And uh, these kinds of investments are very good. And again, you're, you're more inclined to, quote-unquote, over-invest in your employees if you look at them as a fixed cost, as a forever cost, as a uh, not, not, and not, what you're, you know, not back and forth with uh, layoffs and, and uh, downtime hours. Yeah. And is that 5%? Um... Pretty pretty high, you think, is a ben, you know benchmarking other manufacturing companies. That's uh... yeah, I think most other manufacturing companies are less than a percent. Wow. Yes. Well, and and but uh, but I think that has uh, empowered our. First of all, our employees are more excited about their job because they know how to run the machines better. Um, our employees feel are more dedicated to the company because they've we've flown them to Connecticut, we've flown them to Michigan, uh, we've flown them to Chicago. Uh, uh, we've had seminars at our own plant where we've rented out a local community college auditorium and had uh, our employees trained on on the best techniques. And uh, this is very expensive for our company. However, it's actually when you look at it, it's very cheap for the company because what happens is all of a sudden the employees are getting you know, way more than 5% out of each machine and they're making way more, uh, I mean, their defect rate is way below all of our competitors. So we get more orders, we have happier clients, we ship faster, um, our employees are more engaged so we have less turnover. Uh, employees like to be trained. They like to know the latest and greatest. And... Uh, you know, it, it 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 improves the morale of the company, and uh, you know, turnovers is a death knell for a company because you know you lose that long term knowledge of how to do things right. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds like that um, money spent on on training development. I mean, it seems to really fit the the true definition of the word investment as opposed to cost, because um, it seems like you're you're reaping great rewards and in, in, in return out of uh, out of that spending which is um, I think really great to hear um, now one other thing I want to touch on while we have a few minutes you mentioned earlier um, Ellie Goldratt um, you know for, unfortunately passed away um, not too long ago and in, in his book the goal who you know that book was a great influence on me and, and many other people. Um, you had a chance to spend some time directly with Dr. Goldratt. I was wondering if you could tell the listeners um, a little bit about the circumstances and that experience. Well, I'm very honored uh, to have a personal relationship with uh, Dr. Goldratt. 
in uh, 2011, uh, his, he, we invited him to speak. Um, I'm the chairman of the Regional Manufacturing Institute. We invited him to speak in front of 300 uh, local manufacturers uh, about uh, lean manufacturing. And he flew from Israel to uh, Baltimore, Maryland, and gave a, a wonderful speech. And I had the honor of introducing him to the audience of the manufacturers. And he gave a tremendous speech. I actually have a link of this uh, speech uh, in its entirety on my website. And he uh, did a brilliant job. And I was very flattered uh, after he finished um, when he said, Hey, listen, I'm heading back to the, to the hotel. Uh, why don't you jump in the limo with me? And from the ride back from the auditorium to his hotel is about 20-something minutes. And uh, during that time, uh, he did a uh, autopsy, and I'm saying this in a joking way, right. uh, of my company uh, and uh, how we pursue things and our approach and gave all kinds of wonderful, insightful advice on how we should um, thrive and prosper in the future. And it was a very meaningful uh, dialogue, and we were very, uh, I was very touched that he spent so much time with me, and you know, really uh, gave us a lot of wonderful uh, approaches that we should pursue in the future. And uh, after that, uh, he exited the car, gave me a big hug, and and went back into the hotel. And unfortunately, uh, that was in April of 2011, and unfortunately, in June he passed. That was his last public speech ever, and. Uh, you know, I was very uh, touched to be involved in that uh, event. Um, the big thrust of uh, his speech, you know, his conversation with me is that you have to pursue a blue ocean and you have to exit the red ocean. And what he meant by that was the red ocean is where shark-infested waters are, and there's a lot of blood in those waters. And that's a little bit like the bagel industry for me in my context, where I was making bagel baskets, trying to compete with China, uh, where they were selling bagel baskets for cheaper than I could buy the steel. And it was in a market that was declining, so it was horrific competition and with unsound profit margins. And the only way to make sense in that business was to you know lay off employees, pay them less, and this was just a downward, ugly, negative spiral. And we exited the red ocean, and we entered the blue ocean, which is quality engineered quick, a place where people appreciate our quality, appreciate our engineering. 20% of my employees are degree mechanical engineers and, and, and shipping very quick. And that's a market we've pursued where, again, we're focusing in on the medical, the pharmaceutical world, Amgen, Pfizer, Novartis, Baxter. This is my clientele. And like a laser beam, we focus in on how to work with their process engineers, how we can work with their mechanical engineers so we can improve their process. And this this blue ocean for us has been very good. We've grown seven years in a row. Uh, we won the Inc. Uh, 5000. We were the 162nd fastest growing manufacturer in America out of 222,000 manufacturers. So we've had a lot of success adhering to Ellie Goldratt's strategy of, of, the, uh, of the blue ocean. And... Uh, going after it and, and going so fast, so quick that nobody could touch us. And this is, this has helped us. And, uh, you know, his, his advice is very sound. And I think it not only is applicable to people in the sheet metal fabrication world or the wire basket world that I'm in, but it's applicable to, 
to hospitals. It's applicable to medical facilities all throughout the nation. It's applicable to uh, all kinds of factories and offices uh, throughout the world. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's great advice. And I mean, it seems like Dr. Goldbratt had a lot of, um, um, from what I've read of, of his work and, and seeing his talk, a lot of um, great wisdom and business advice beyond some of the, you know, maybe seemingly more tactical lessons from from the goal. Um, he was a very uh, accomplished man who certainly contributed um, uh, quite quite a lot. And I was really happy to see, and I'll, I'll share a link uh, for the listeners that you were able to post um, the video of Dr. Goldratt's talk um, on, on the Marlin Steel website. And uh, hopefully um, that, that'll remain out there at least for a little while or anticipating it'll be out there for people to view it. That, that's that's absolutely correct. We'll have that link up forever. It's uh, something I'm very proud of. That uh, again, I, I had that brief brief uh, time with such a special person, and uh, he really changed a lot of lives for the for the positive. And uh, you know, I highly recommend watching that video to really uh, understand the essence. And and he he really believes, and I I believe with you know with what he says that you really have to have trust with your employees and you have to treat them and value them and you have to treat them like professionals and you can't be treating them like blue collar workers and you have to, um, you know, when, when times are good and times are bad, you have to be steady Eddie uh, with them. And because of that, they'll be very dedicated. They'll be very loyal. They'll look at your job, not as a job, but as a career. And they'll be more motivated to help you and come up and conceive with new ideas, new innovations, new ways to get to the next level. And these are the kinds of people that you want interfacing with your clients. These are the kinds of people that you want being the face of, of your organization so that uh, you look like uh, the superstar company you are. And, uh, you know, if you're beating on your employees, it's hard to imagine they're going to they're gonna put the best face forward. On the flip side, if you treat them really well, um, then they're going to they're gonna demonstrate all the model behaviors that you want them to exude uh, when they're engaging with your, your your prospects or your employees, and uh, you'll get more business this way, and your company will thrive, your entity will thrive uh, because of your productive and loyal employees. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate um, Drew. You not only sharing you know the video from Dr. Gorat, but um, sharing your story. Um, you know, it was, it's really inspi- It's always inspiring to hear um, of, of of business leaders who are, are taking such a great approach. With their employees and with their businesses, um, you know, not not giving up when when facing um, challenges. Hopefully, that's really inspiring, not just for listeners who you know are still part of um, the American manufacturing base, but in in other industries like healthcare, where their you know, leaders are facing some seemingly insurmountable challenges, or at least a, a lot of um, you know really really scary times and, and great pressure. So. Um, Drew Greenblatt, president of, of Marlin Steel. Do you have any any final thoughts for for leaders and other businesses who, you know, maybe you know kept up at night or uh, waking up in the morning and thinking, man, we're really facing tough times? Um, do, you, do you have any final thoughts for them? Figure out what are attributes of your business model that clients really care about, and Invest in those areas so you're the best of breed in your industry for those zones and stop spending money on all other activities. Because if, in our case, again, in our case, speed of delivery and great quality 
and innovation or engineering were, were, were a hallmark to our success, quality engineering quick. So we've invested in highly automated robots, three and a half million bucks. We invested in the best engineers. In our case, uh, 20% of our employees are degree mechanical engineers. So we've invested everything we can into those entities. All other things we have pared away to nothing because they add no value in our customer's experience. You have to identify what moves the needle for your client. What is intrinsic to their being excited and enchanted with your product? And then you have to invest all available cash towards that goal so that you differentiate yourself from your competition so your competition cannot keep up with you so that you get more reorders, you get more happy clients, and word will spread. And that will differentiate you from your competition. Well, I think that's that's great advice. And um, Drew, thank you so much for uh, being a guest um, here on the podcast and and sharing your story with us uh, w with all of us today. Thank you, I appreciate it, and uh, I wish I wish your 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 listeners uh, good luck. And uh, please uh, check out that link with Ellie Goldratt. He's uh, really tremendous, and he's changed my life. I think he'll he'll uh, help you uh, see the future a good future path for yourself. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.